Our uh, scripture for this morning comes from John 10, verses 22 to 39. Then came the feast of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area, walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you, did it, but you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, Have I shown you many great miracles from the Father? For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I have said to you, I have said to you, our gods. If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy, because I said, I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do what my Father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, Believe the miracles, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Again they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. It wasn't on the screen, that was my fault. I forgot to change it from last week. <laughs> Whoops. Talk about weakness and frailty. <laughs> um, one of the things that is uh, being talked about a lot these days, and I'm not wanting to add to that this morning, so hear me right, but uh, we're increasingly living in a polarized culture, polarized society. Right, And I think it's talked about a lot because we're just seeing that happen more and more clearly that, that there's kind of bla- everything's kind of black and white, right? Tensions are getting stronger, divisions are getting wider and deeper, and, and you kind of notice that, that as you're talking to people, especially when you start getting into some of the polarized issues, they're kind of try- listening to everything you say, trying to figure out where you're at, right? They're trying to like peg you. Are you, and what they're trying to do is like, which side of the divide are you on? Or really what they're trying to do is they, are you on my team or are you on the wrong team, right? And so they're, they're paying attention, trying to figure out whose team they're on. Uh, but there's kind of this thing that I've been seeing happening more recently. It happens a lot on social media, which is why social media is not usually that helpful for this kind of stuff. But, but what I'm seeing happen is, a lot of people, they're not just trying to pay attention to how you're speaking. They're actually trying to like flush out people who claim to be on their side, but they don't think are actually on their side, right? And so they're, they're kind of treating people like they're kind of 
double agents. And they're like, well, do you really believe what you say you believe? And, and so one of the things that I see happening a lot is people are asking kind of black and white questions. Are you this or are you this? And, and they're not actually asking it as a way of trying to determine where you're at. They're actually just trying to trap you and trying to get you to say something that's going to get you in trouble. And so you may hear questions. Don't hear me trying to cause any more division, but you may hear questions like this. Are you for border protection or are you for helping the immigrants? All right. Are you pro-life or are you pro-all of life? Do you believe that black lives matter or do you believe that all lives matter? Which one? Tell me right now. And what you realize is that for any faithful Christian to faithfully respond to any of those requires you to go, well, hold on, let me explain what I mean when I say whatever. And they go, no, 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 no explanation. You tell me, is it this one or this one? And, and it's a trap. Okay, and, and what really struck me is, as, as, as I'm seeing that, and I saw that happen a lot this last week through social media, I, I also recognized that the situation that Jesus is in is just as polarized and similarly polarized as where we're living right now. Um, we've kind of heard that before, that Jesus is in this polarized situation, but, but he really was. I mean, it was politically polarized, and it was religiously polarized. I mean, there were religious Jews who were taking up arms, right? They were zealots. They were going to overthrow things. It was that polarized. We see people doing that in our culture today. They're wanting to take up arms and overthrow things. And so, in Jesus' day, the same polarization is happening, and people are saying, are you for me or are you against me? Or are you on my team or are you on, on the wrong team? And, and that's what's happening in this passage. And, and that's why I'm wanting us to understand that, because if you don't understand that, you, you really misunderstand pretty much everything that Jesus says in this passage. Because he says some things where you go, I'm kind of confused on why you answered that way. Right? And so the kind of the story set where Jesus is back at the temple, right? He goes to the temple all the time. And why is he at the temple? Because there's people there. And that's where he teaches. He goes to the temple because there's people and they're teaching. There's a feast going on, the Feast of Dedication, as it was said. Thankfully, Sandy knows all of these things. And so she has, you see a little, the Hanukkah menorah on the front because that's what it is. It's the, the Feast of Hanukkah, they call it now. That feast is going on. So there's people at the temple. And so Jesus goes there to teach. And as he's walking around the temple, what happens? He's ambushed. And it's set up that he's, he's surrounded by the Jews, which is John's way of talking about these Jewish leaders. They kind of pounce on him, they surround him, and they say this, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Catch that? That's like those questions I was talking about. Are you for us or are you against us? Which one are you? Tell us who you are, Right? Like, stop beating around the bush. Stop talking in parables. What's the deal? And yet, we know just because of how these interactions have gone, um, they're not actually wanting to know the answer. They're, they're trapping Jesus. And, and we know they're trapping Jesus just because 
if you look at all the different translations, that first question is, how long will you keep us in suspense? It's going to be translated a whole bunch of different ways in, in pretty much every translation. Um, and one of the commentators I read this week said you could translate that question as being, how long are you going to keep on annoying us? Right? The tone that they're asking this is they're trying to trap him. They're, they're angry at him and they want to get him in trouble. They want Jesus to say something that's going to get him in trouble. And so you have to keep that in mind because the way Jesus responds to this question seems kind of confusing, right? Because you would think, well, Jesus, you came. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. And now they're saying, tell us plainly that you're the Christ. You would think Jesus would go, I am. I'm the Christ. Like, worship me. Follow me, right? But that's not what he does, is it? And so you're like, why? Why wouldn't Jesus just respond that clearly? And, and um, there, there's a couple things going on. And one is that we, we, what we've seen happen throughout the gospel is Jesus knows they're playing games and he's refusing to play the games that they want to play. So they want to kind of trap him and he said, I'm, I'm not going to play that game. I'm not going to step into your trap. So I'm not going to answer your question the way you want me to answer it. But the other part that's going on is that because of the, and, and we're seeing this today, because of the polarization that's happening, words are getting, the meaning of words are getting changed, right? That's why, that's why some people would have issues saying some of the things that I said at the beginning, answering some of those questions. Because, well, if I, of course I believe that, but if I say that, you're not going to understand what I actually mean when I say that, because it's been all twisted and distorted. And the same thing was happening then around the idea of the Messiah, the Christ. It had become so polarized that they actually didn't know what the word meant anymore. They didn't even really know who the Messiah was actually going to be. And so Jesus, if Jesus would have just went out publicly and stood at the temple and said, I'm the Messiah, he would have been so misunderstood that he would have actually led them astray by saying that. That's why we see throughout the gospel when he's one-on-one with his disciples or the, the blind man or the woman at the well, he says, I'm the Messiah. But publicly at the temple, he doesn't say that because there's way too much confusion around it and he doesn't want to lead them astray by actually just saying it. And so his response is way better. He says, I told you. You don't believe. And, and, and Jesus has a habit of doing this, right? It's, they're coming to Him with this accusation saying, Jesus, you're, you're, you're not being clear. You're being crafty. You're being sneaky with us. And, and Jesus responds and kind of flips the accusation around and says, actually, I've been very clear. I've been telling you this. It's not my fault that this is so confusing to you. It's, it's your fault. You, you're the reason. Why, you won't believe in me. The problem's not with me. The problem's with you. And then he explains himself. He says, the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe. And so what Jesus is saying, I, and I think Jesus is saying, you may think that my teaching and my words are all kind of crafty and beating around the bush, but if you look at who I am, and if you look at what I am doing and what I have done, it's clear 
that I'm the Messiah. Just flat out clear that I'm the Messiah, and yet you still don't believe me. And he actually goes on later on in the passage, he says, like, believe the works, believe the things that I do, so that you would know and understand that the Father's in me, and I'm in the Father. And so Jesus takes things to a different level, actually. He says, if you look at who I am and what I've done, you'll see clearly that I'm the Messiah, that I'm the Christ, but you'll also see clearly that I and the Father are one. And yet, they don't believe. And the question is, why not? If it's so clear, Jesus, (laughs) if it's so clear from what you're doing and how you're living, why don't they believe? And he says, he says, I told you, you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. You don't believe because you're not among my sheep. That's why they don't believe. He says it's actually that clear. Right? We talked about that last week. Um, but Jesus is pointing out it actually doesn't matter what he says. And it doesn't matter what he does. And it doesn't matter how clearly, how effectively he reveals himself to this group. They will never believe. Because they're not his sheep. And, and that explains why they keep responding the way that they do. Right? They, they ask Jesus, tell us clearly whether you're the Christ. Now, he doesn't clearly tell them whether he's the Christ. He does, in a way. He says, look at how I live. But he takes it up a notch. He says, well, I and the Father are one. And he says that really clearly. And how do they respond? They pick up stones to stone him. And, and this is why you, you think back to some of the hard words that Jesus said to them you know, a few weeks ago or a chapter or two ago where he called them children of the devil. And he said, why? Because the devil was a liar and a murderer from the beginning and their hearts are all about lying and murdering. And he, we see that start to play out, right? They're constantly on the lookout for ways to kill him. <laughs> they're trying to trap him into saying things so that they can kill him. They're, they're willing to kind of twist and distort things so that they can kill him. And and in the midst of that, that's why Jesus keeps responding the way he does. And if you don't understand that again, this next kind of interaction doesn't necessarily make sense. Because as they're holding stones to kill Jesus, Jesus says, wait, hold on. What work are you going to kill me for? What good thing have I done that you're going to kill me for? And they say, it's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy because you, being a man, make yourself God. It's not because of the works. We've, we tried to kill you for the works already, for doing good works on the Sabbath and all of that. But this time it's not about that. This time we're going to kill you because you being a man make yourself God. And again, you might think Jesus would respond and say, yep, I'm God. I didn't make myself God. I was God in the beginning and I was with God, right? But he doesn't respond that way. Uh, and the reason he doesn't respond the way is he's not, he's not going to play their games. He's not going to step into their traps. And he, he's going to flip, kind of flip the accusation back on them. He said, is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and scripture can't be broken, do you say of him 
whom the Father consecrated and sent in the world, you're blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God? Now, this is confusing. (laughs) Um, And and it takes a little bit to understand, and I hope I can make it a little more clear. Because on the one hand, it seems like Jesus is saying, like as they're about to kill him, it seems like Jesus is saying, hold on! I never said I was God. I just used language that the Bible uses. And so, you can't kill me for that. I'm just speaking. People have always spoke this way. Don't kill me. I never said I was God. And, uh, and actually, people have taken this um, and, and ran with it over the years. A guy named Arius, who denied that Jesus was God, said that that's what Jesus was teaching here. And yet, we know because of the, the tensions here, Jesus is not playing their games. And what he's doing is flipping and kind of putting the shoe on the other foot. And so in a way, he's not going to play their game. And in another way, he's actually outplaying them at their own game. And, and he's doing something that we've seen him do throughout the gospel where he's saying, you guys think you know the law so well, but you don't. <laughs> and so you think you can kill me for what I just said, but, but you can't. You don't know the law as well as you think you do. People have spoken like this, and and you can't kill me for this because you're just kind of twisting and distorting this in order to kill me. He does kind of make this argument where he says, if God can talk that way about other people, and he's talking about like earthly judges in that psalm, or maybe angels, we're not sure. Angels are called the sons of God throughout the Bible as well. So if we could talk that way about those How much more can I talk about me, the one that God has specifically sent into the world? But really what he's doing is he's saying, he's he's pointing out, you guys are willing to twist and distort the word of God to just do whatever you want to do. You're willing to twist and distort it to try to kill me. That's what you're doing. And that's why they eventually stop trying to kill him and they go, fine, we'll just arrest you. And, And Jesus escapes. Um, but but here's, what, here's what really struck me this week. is because, you know, tensions have been really rising between Jesus and these leaders, right? And he said some really hard things to them, and, you know, they've tried to kill him multiple times. And, and yet, he ends talking to them by calling them to repent and believe. Um, and remember how it begins, right? It begins by him saying, I told you, you do not believe, right? And then he says, the works I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you're not among my sheep, right? It seems like kind of a, a bleak picture, like a hopeless situation where Jesus is saying, I've been so clear with you, you're not going to believe, you never believe because you're not my sheep. And yet he ends by saying, if I'm not doing the works of my Father, then don't believe in me. But if I do them, even though you don't believe me, believe. Believe the works that you, so that you would know and understand that the Father's in me and I'm in the Father. And what he's doing is, even after all of these kind of hard, harsh interactions, even after calling them children of the devil and saying, you're not of my sheep, he still ends and says, you need to repent and believe. And, and here's why I think that's important. And this is partly why the connection with the Heidelberg Catechism from earlier. Right? We, we've watched Jesus say really, really hard things for the past few weeks. Um, really hard things. 
and uh, things that make us uncomfortable, right? And things get heated and harsh. And, and, uh, and what we see here is that underneath all of the hard, harsh sayings of Jesus is His desire that they would repent and believe. Um, Jesus, you know, our gut reaction for the most part is to say hard, harsh things as kind of like a counterpunch. Like, if you think about words being a punch, someone punches you in the face and you're like, oh, I'm going to punch you back with another hard word. That's what we're trying to do. That's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus has calculatedly saying hard words to hard hearts. Because sometimes hard hearts need to be broken with hard words so that they can believe and repent. His desire isn't to punch them or to punish them. His desire is that they would repent, believe, and follow Him. And even when it seems almost hopeless, He's still calling them, no, you still need to repent. You still need to believe and follow Me. And He does that because He knows that there are sheep out there who are His true sheep, and His true sheep will hear Him. They'll know His voice. They'll believe. They'll follow Him, right? We're reminded of that. He says, my sheep, they hear my voice. I know them. They follow me, right? He says, like, my true sheep aren't going to be constantly confused about who I am. My true sheep aren't going to be constantly telling me, tell us clearly who you are. No, my sheep know me. They hear me. They recognize my voice. And so they, they follow me. And then he gets into something that makes, I think, especially uh, Americans uncomfortable. Because he describes this in a way that, that most of us don't, I would say, our natural inclination isn't going to embrace. Because our natural inclination is to kind of see this and go, I'm a smart sheep. <laughs> I, I heard his voice. And I followed him. I believed him. I'm not like those other stupid sheep, like those Jewish leaders who, who are dumb and they don't, they don't follow him. I'm a smart sheep. <laughs> And Jesus says, actually, you're not a sheep because of how smart you were or how good you were. And you're not a sheep because you were born into the right family. He says, you're actually a sheep because the Father chose you and the Father gave you to Jesus, right? He says, the Father who has given the true sheep to me. And he says, that's the only reason you're a sheep. Um, and if the Father hadn't chosen you, and if the Father hadn't given you to Jesus, you would have remained just as hard-hearted and blind and deaf as the Jewish leaders. And it's a reminder that we, you have nothing to brag about, nothing to boast about in any of this. The only thing you do is you get on your knees and you thank and praise your Father for calling you and making you part of His people bringing you into his flock. And you know, I realize um, that bothers us a little bit, right? Especially, uh, we just we like to think we have agency in this. I did something. I made the decision. I chose. I worked hard. I was smarter. I did this. I did this. I did this. And, and it just bothers us. So we don't want to listen to it. And on the one hand, I'm going to say something blunt and then I'm going to explain it. But on the one hand, it doesn't actually matter whether you like it or not. <laughs> it matters if it's true or not. And, uh, and, and Scripture is just repletely clear 
that this is how it goes. That the Father chose you from before the foundation of the earth and gave you to Jesus, and that's why you are part of His sheep. So it doesn't matter whether you like that. It, it's true, and because it's true, then we should learn to like it, and we should learn to love it. But, but here's one of the things that I think um, helps us understand why this is so beautiful, uh, so powerful. Uh, because remember, Jesus is still, he's still on the same train of thought that he's been on from the beginning, right? Those who are truly my disciples abide in my word. They're set free, right? He kind of gives a summary of that here. He says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish, right? He's kind of summing it up. This is what he's been saying for the last three chapters. They abide in me. They're set free. They're, they're, they get, receive eternal life. And then he says this. He kind of keeps adding to it every chapter. He says, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one. Um, And he goes on. He says, and my Father who's given them to me, he's greater than all, right? He created the world with the breath of his mouth. No one's able to snatch them out of my Father's hand either. And I and the Father are one. And what he's reminding his people is that it's not only when, when you hear his voice and you follow him, you're not only set free and you not only have eternal life, but now you're, you're placed in the hand of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they're not letting go of you. You're not going anywhere. And, and no one and nothing is going to be able to take you out of their hand. And it's kind of hinting back to last week where we were talking about thieves and robbers and wolves and all of that. He said, none of, none of that stuff is going to take you out of my Father's hand because He's got you. He created everything and nothing in that creation is stronger than Him so they can't take you out of His hand. And, and here's why that's so powerful. Because Jesus connects this to what? The Father giving the sheep to Him. He connects this to the Father knowing and choosing before the foundations of the earth. He said, because the Father who created the earth gave you to Me, you're not going anywhere. And so, you don't have anything to do with this. And if you did have something to do with it, I mean, think about it. If if it was up to you to be smart enough or good enough or strong enough to become a sheep, it would be up to you then to be good enough, smart enough, strong enough to continue to be a sheep. And when you're honest with yourself, you're not. You know you're not. You know you're not strong enough. You know you're not smart enough. You know in the midst of how crazy and chaotic the world is, you know that you're not. And so what ends up happening is you start going, I, what if I fall away? What if I run away? What if I... There's too much craziness in front of me. How could I ever be faithful in the midst of this? And you have no comfort. You have no hope. You have no assurance of your salvation. And yet, if we recognize, like we sang way at the beginning of the, the service, that we're, we're prone to wander, Lord, we feel it, right? Prone to leave the God we love. And that the only reason we haven't wandered or left the God that we love is because He's got us in His hand. He said, I've got you. You're not going anywhere. I, you're going to try. You're going to be like a stupid sheep and you're going to try to run away and I'm going to be like, you know, like the dogs on a leash when you see somebody walking down the street and the dog's at the end and like pulling him back. God's like, I've got you. You're not going to get away from me. You're mine. 
And somebody might come in, they might try to rip you out of my hand, but they're not strong enough, trust me. You're not even strong enough to rip yourself out of my hand. And nothing that's going to happen in your life will rip you out of my hands. You're mine. And you're mine forever. And, and that helps, you know, it brings us to kind of my last quote. Uh, it's from John Calvin. I think it, it's really helpful where he says this, you know, we're surrounded by powerful adversaries and so great is our weakness that we're every moment in imminent danger of death. Now just stop. Because I think this is probably one of our biggest problems in our current day and age, that we don't actually realize that that's true. We, we think we're not always in imminent danger of death. We think we're pretty safe and comfy and cozy. Um, but we're not. We're always in imminent danger of death. Always, at every moment. And he said, but as he who keeps what we have committed to him is greater or more powerful than all, we have no reason to tremble as if our life were in danger. Right? As, we, as we wander through this life where we're surrounded on all sides by danger and death, because we know the Father's holding on to us, He says, you don't even have to live if you were in danger. But you can live as if God's got you. You can live with confidence and boldness by faith, knowing that God will never leave you nor forsake you, and He will never let you go. Let's come to let's come in prayer. Father, we come into your presence acknowledging that we are prone to wander, that we're prone to leave the God we love, that, that we're prone to, to wander off and get ourselves in trouble all the time. And so, Father, we... We, uh, we come to You and we ask Your forgiveness. We confess that to You. We pray that You would forgive us for our pride, forgive us for our arrogance, forgive us for our foolishness. And that You would not only forgive us, but that You would fill us, empower us through Your Spirit, that You would work in us, restore us, renew us, draw us back to Yourself and, and hold us in your hand, Father. Help us to truly recognize that truth that you've got us in your hand and that you'll never let us go. Help us to remember that the best, safest, most blessed place we could be is in your hand. Help us to rest in that, to serve in that. Help us to live in this world without fear, without anxiety but actually with confidence and boldness as we trust that you've got us in your hand. You'll never let us go and that nothing will take us from your hand. And Father, may you receive the glory and the honor through all of that. All God's people said, Amen.